as I was, you know, thinking and getting to know you guys a little bit better through um, Tina and through PE and just learning more about you guys here and there, I was thinking, what does God want to tell them? What is the gut word to be preached tonight? Right? And the first thing I, that came to my mind was, oh, yeah, you know, a lot of them are foreign exchange students. They're here for a semester. They're here for study abroad. That's exciting. And I just wanted to keep talking about that because, you know, I had a semester in college years when I studied abroad, not in Korea, but in Spain. And that was a special time for me. Okay, it was special because I went alone, right? It was special because everything was foreign. It was a time away from, I, it's not that I went, I went because I really do love Spanish culture. I'm not saying some of you guys don't love Korean culture, right? But I went because I really wanted to experience something new. And the thing is, no one was there when I went. My sisters weren't there, my family, my closest friends. I was alone with, you know, just new strangers. And, and, I, and I began to remember what that was like for me in that season. And, you know, God just gave me, God was able to help me understand maybe what some of you guys are going through, right? And all of you guys are, com you guys all come from different places. Some of you guys are from America. How many of you guys are from uh, the States? <laughs> and I won't forget Canada, Canada too. <laughs> One or two, don't be shy, it's all right. Um, I know there are some people from Africa, right? Australia. Southeast Asia, Malaysia, Vietnam, right, um, Philippines. I, and I was shocked to hear how diverse the group was and where in Europe, actually. Some people are from Italy or something like that, right, I heard. Um, but, yeah, it's a really diverse group. And I don't know why you guys are here, right, because all of your reasons are different. Some of you guys are here because you want to really, uh, you know, learn about Korean culture and the Korean language. Some of you guys are here because... You have to be here, I don't know, because you know, your visa statuses didn't work out. So you have to be here. And you're kind of not happy about that, right? Some of you guys are here because you wanted to escape your, you know, your home. And you wanted to just go somewhere fun and exciting and, and explore um, and be adventurous and experience something new and do the whole party thing, right? You guys have heard all the fun things that you guys, your friends have gone before you and you're here because you thought for a semester, maybe I can experience something crazy, something I can only do once in my lifetime. No one knows me, right? I can do whatever I want. I'll do everything. And then I'll go back home and I'll be back to my old self, Jamie, and no one else will know. Some of you guys might have thought that. I see some smiles, right? But then I bet you now you're wrapping up, you're getting ready to leave. Some of you guys are already thinking, yep, but that was not what God had planned for me. The question I want to ask you guys tonight is this. You're here at Emmaus for a reason. You've been here, what, now three months or so, four months? You experience some crazy, powerful things. Things that you've never seen your churches do. People going crazy for God. I mean, you, you, you have Christian friends, but not like Christian friends in Philly or Emmaus. People are just singing to God from the top of their lungs, right? You've seen people break out and speaking in tongues and all various spiritual gifts. You are witnessing God move in such powerful, mighty ways in ways you have never seen before, and you are, some of you are still confused, but some of you guys are overwhelmed, some of you are excited, but 
whether or not you've experienced the spiritual gifts or the tongues or the fire of God falling at a man's reach or whatever it was, you have also experienced God because you have heard the word of God being preached to you. The gospel message was preached to you every single week and you have heard it and you have seen the work of God. So my question to you today is this, you have witnessed it. Now, what are you going to do about it? What are you doing about it now? And when you go back home, what are you going to do about it as a witness to the things you have seen and the things you have heard, whether by first-hand experience or by the mouth of somebody else? What are you going to do about the witness that God's given you? I want you to think about that because today that's what we're going to look at. In the Bible, there are so many different ways that people respond. You know, people are encountering God all the way from Genesis to Revelation. We see people experiencing God because that's what the Bible's about. It's about God and people, right? And there are various responses. But out of the various responses, I want to I maybe name three things, three responses, and highlight two common ways that we probably can relate to the most, right? Right? The first type of group of people are people who encounter God, who experience and witness everything that he has done to a point that they're so convicted, they're completely changed. There is not a single doubt in their mind after their encounter with God because the power is just, it's just powerful. It's undeniable. These are people like, you know, like Moses, you know, he had the, the fire, uh, the bush burning experience. After that, he can't deny God, right? You see his life completely turn around and he, he is, he leads Israelites out of Egypt, right? Once he witnessed the power of God, he was changed completely, right? Then there are people who initially they receive what's going on. They receive what's, what's going on around them. They hear about what's going on. And some of them actually, they even see for themselves, firsthand experience, they experience God and the spirit, okay? But then, eventually, over time, these people start to doubt and start to ask them, ask the questions, hey, what I experienced, was that really real? No, no. It was just the emotional hype. It's because I was there with so many, else who, so many other people who were going crazy, right? It's the people who become fearful that they're going to get judged and criticized okay, and persecuted. They doubt. Okay. The sad thing is with these people, they give greater authority to others to reshape and reinterpret what they experienced. Did you get that? You see, I have an experience, but because of the fear, because of these worries, and I'm so scared. If I tell you, you know, that person says to me, hey, are you sure that that's what really happened? And then I start to think, yeah, um, you know, I'm not sure. And then I become quiet about it. You see, authority is given to others to determine what I knew in my heart, what my experience was. And over time now, that testimony that lived inside my heart vanishes. The excitement I once had diminishes. There's no more excitement, right? These are the people who doubt. But initially, they were jumping up and down. They're excited. And they were sure, right? Then there's a third group of people, okay? And there might be some people in here 
Third group are the people. It's not even one or two. Okay, it's the people who see what's going on here, what's going on. But you know what? These people, they're so wise in their own own eyes. They're so wise in their own eyes. Oh, I like that, right? Okay. <laughs> they're so wise in their own eyes. They cannot discern what the heck is going on. Okay. How do you guys know in 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says this. The natural person does not accept the things of God. Okay does not accept the things of the spirit of God. The natural man can't. But Paul says, he's not able to understand them. The natural man can't discern them because the things of God and the things of the spirit can be discerned only by in the spirit. When you are wise in your own eyes, you can't see what's going on in the spirit because you're too busy wrapped up in your own little mind, questioning, criticizing, thinking, intellectualizing, rationalizing, everything. Okay? These are the people, you know, it's like in Luke 6, they're on the Sabbath day. Jesus sees a guy with a withered hand, right? And Jesus has compassion on this person because he's sick. Jesus heals him, and the Pharisees and the scribes, they're on the sidelines saying, oh, let's see what Jesus is going to do. Right? They're missing the whole point. Jesus heals him and he's healed and great things are going on. And they're still on the sidelines, still judging. They cannot see what is going on in the spirit because they don't have the mind of Christ to be able to discern what's going on in the spirit. So you know what? If you have the eyes to see and ears to hear, bless you because that is Holy Spirit working in you. If you don't have the eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand what's going on in the spirit, you should pray. Because only spirit can give that to you. Right? So those are three groups of people. But today I want to focus mainly on the first and the second. Right? The first people I said, these are the people right, who, who are just not a single doubt in their mind because they've been radically and completely converted and changed by work of God. Right? And you know, one example is Abraham. Right? How has Abraham changed? He had this experience where God just spoke to him and God made a covenant with him telling, hey, you're going to be, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be the father of many nations, right? Many offsprings shall come out of you, right? Like the descendants of as many as the um, stars in the sky and as the sand in the seashore. God promises in that. And of course, Abraham goes through seasons and years. He's waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing happens. And yeah, sure, he's human. And there's a part in him that's questioning. So he mess, he does mess up, right? Well, he doesn't really mess up, mess up, but he doubts at one point because he doesn't take Sarah, but he looks at Hagar, right? And he thinks that his descent is going to come from his, um, not his own wife, but his slave woman, right? But anyway, later on down the chapter, finally, he, uh, God tells him, look, Abraham, you will see that my promises will be fulfilled, right? And Abraham continues to walk in faith, not doubting the voice that he's heard, not doubting the covenant God made with him by doing the most amazing thing that I think a father could do. What did he do? Some of you guys might know this story. He was willing. Actually, he wasn't willing. He was willing and he actually did it. He grabbed his one and only son, Isaac, and he was willing to, he offered him as a burnt uh, offering as God instructed him. And of course, God t- finally stops him and provides him, right? 
and tell them, okay, don't, don't lay your hand on him. Right? But you see, Abraham, the point is, Abraham, when he hears the voice of God, even when he struggled, he is faithful to the promises God gave him, and he is unshaken. Okay, he is faithful to the promise that God's given him, and he does not doubt, right? One of my favorite characters in the Bible are the Israelites. Okay, and you're thinking Israelites, that's, they're everywhere. It's specifically Israelites in, during the generation, the generation when Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt. I just love them because I feel like I'm one of them. And I just laugh because they're so, they're so immature. They're so childish that when I'm reading, I can't help but just laugh. They sound like a bunch of babies, right, to me. And I love, and I love it because it's comical too. And I love that because, you know, I think to myself, man, the Bible's amazing. No matter how many generations have passed, it's amazing that human heart is the same. We really are the same. I mean, you know? All right. So... Some, I don't know how, how uh, familiar you are with the story, but, you know, one of the things we see even with the Israelites, let me tell you, the second group of people, we're talking about the doubtful people, right? Israelites, they're under slavery under Pharaoh for a long time, long, long time. And finally, God decides, you know what? I'm going to use Moses to deliver them out of Egypt, right? And, you know, after the burning bush, Moses is getting ready and he is getting ready to deliver them. And in the beginning, I think, you know, all the Israelites are questioning and they're like, but eventually after the place, God finally is ready to deliver them out of Egypt, even to cross the Red Sea, right? And in the meanwhile, Egyptians are marching and they're, they're chasing them. Can you guys imagine if you were a group of people, right, under it in Korea or wherever you are, and there's an um, imagine that a war broke out and you just got to run for your life, right? With your people and your, uh, oppressors are coming after you. Okay. And all of a sudden it's a red sea and they have to cross it. And Moses himself, he's like talking to God, God, what are you going to do? You know? And God's like, what are you doing? And all this stuff is going on. Finally, God makes a way through the red sea to a point that they become walls and the Israelites are walking on dry ground, right? They're delivered. And as soon as the Egyptian, uh, soldiers are coming. They're engulfed by the waves and sea, and they can't make it, right? And I love this part in Bible where it says in Isaiah, uh, no, no, in, um, in Exodus 14, I think. Let me get there for you. Exodus 14:30. It says, "Israel, God rescued Israel that day, and Israel saw what had happened, right? And Israel saw basically what God did, and they believed." because of what they have seen God do. Okay, well, that's not the end of the story. Great that they saw what God did, and so they believed. When you experience something crazy like that, you have to believe. But then what happens? Why did the wilderness, why were they in there for so long? What was their relationship like with Moses right after that? Oh, Moses, why did you bring us out? Why don't you just let us die? Were there not enough graves in Egypt, right? I'm so sick of eating bread. I want honey. I want, you know, meat. They were complaining and grumbling. It's like, what? You just, you just saw what God did. And now because you're eating bread all day, all week, all month, now you're complaining. 
and blaming Moses for being the you know, person to bring you salvation, you know, help bring salvation to you. You see how quick they are to forget what God has done. Initially, they received it. They were excited and they were grateful and they had faith initially. But what happens when that goes and you're in a new land and you're not seeing those miracles anymore and you're not seeing God work powerfully like that? God's presence is still with you, but what's going on in your mind? Let me ask you guys. While you were here in Korea, you guys, you, some of you guys might have seen God move powerfully, like, for the first time. But how many of you guys are starting to fear that when you go back home in a few weeks, where you are going to be is not going to be like the Red Sea encounter? It's not going to be what you've seen God do to some of your friends and even to your own hearts, your own lives. Are you going to be like the doubtful Israelite who initially at Tor jumping up and down crazy and excited, but then you return back home and you start to complain and grumble. And you know why, why Israelites complain and grumble? The root is because they are lack of, they're lacking faith. They forget that God is still with them. So my question is, when you return, what are you going to be like? What kind of a witness are you going to be? Will you be faithful to what God has done? No matter what the situation. Right? What is a witness, guys? Okay. Now we're going to get into Deuteronomy. What is a witness? Can you guys, who, do you guys all have your Bibles with you? Yeah? All right, let's turn to Deuteronomy. Um, let's start with Deuteronomy chapter 32. And we're going to kind of jump, jump, you know, jump around between 31 and t- 32. So just keep your finger or pen there. And I'm going to read Deuteronomy 32 verses 1 through 4. Okay, and here's what it says. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as a rain, my speech distill as a dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. You see, if you guys have your little Bible with the the, uh, title under for that chapter, it might say the song of Moses, right? See, this chapter, entire chapter 32, it's a song that Moses writes. Okay? And the reason why Moses writes this song, we'll get into it. I'm excited to tell you why. Okay? But I won't get ahead of myself. Okay? But... Anyways, you know, the first song that we got, we sang when we got here, I don't know what the title of that song was, David, but um, be, He is Faithful. He is Faithful. And there were, <laughs> there were these lines. It said, you know, something about proclaiming um, God's love, all these things. And I was like, I, that song meant something really deep for me, I think, because as I was preparing the sermon, um, there's something that I realized, right? What is a witness? Let me tell you. A witness 
according to what we read here, verse 3, it's proclaiming the name of the Lord. It's ascribing greatness to our God. Why? Because the rock, it's proclaiming his work is perfect. His ways are justice. It's proclaiming he is faithful, okay, just and upright. Okay? But to ask the question, what is a witness and why is Moses writing this song? We got to go back to verse 31. I mean, chapter 31, sorry about that. Chapter 31, and I'm going to read verses 9 all the way to 21, 22. Okay, so, so read with me. This is important that you read this. All right, so I'll read it. Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner with, within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourself in the tent of meeting, that I may commission him. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting, and the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud. And the pillar of cloud stood over, over the entrance of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. That means he's going to die. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. And I will forsake them and hide my face from them. And they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not amongst us. And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done because they have turned to other gods. Now, therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouth that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness. For it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do even today before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel. This is the word of God. So you see, you see what's going on? Here's the first question. Why? I, I want to talk about the first point is why do we need witness? Okay. The purpose of witness. That's the first point. Why do we need it? Why is witness it's so important. Verse 16, what we just read, do you know what it says? 
verse 16, 31, chapter 31, 16, it says, Moses, you're about to die. You're going you're gonna to lie down with your fathers. And then after that happens, you know what's going to happen? The people that you have been leading, they're going to rise and they're going to start whoring after other gods. They're going to start whoring after foreign gods into the land in which they're going. Why do we need witness? It's no mistake, guys, that Yahweh is telling Moses, look, write a song or something because of people that you've been leading. I know what they're capable of. They're going to forget all the things that they have seen and all the things they have claimed that they have seen. They're going to forget it. See, earlier on when we read, uh, before we get to verse 16, God tells Moses, assemble all the peoples, men, women, children, sojourners, and everything, right? And even so that even the children come, that comes after that generation so that even they will know. Guys, testimonies what, and witnessing what God has done even in the time of Moses, God says, write it out so that it is not forgotten. Why do we need it? Because or else our hearts, we whore after foreign gods. Right now in Seoul, in Emmaus, Yonsei, Iwa, wherever you are, this is a norm. Because if this is your main community of friends right now, Maybe you're not as, uh, you know, tempted to start drifting to other places because this is your core community. But what happens when you go back? What happens when you return to your campuses and to your dorms? You know, some of you guys are in sororities and frats and you guys are going back and your friends start to think, hey, what happened to you? Hey, did you go to Seoul to like party? You know, why are you getting all like wimpy on me? I don't know, right? <laughs> What are you going to do? Because I, you know what foreign gods look like in your countries? Can you identify what those foreign gods are in your life? God, Moses is talking about the foreign gods like Baal worship and all these other worship, right, gods. But the gods of today, you can't miss. Alcohol, what's, what is your god? When you go back to your campus, what's going to be the guy that you're going to whore after? Because when you don't have the witness written down, when you don't recount it over and over and over again, to a point God tells Moses, write out a song so that they shall not forget what I have done, their hearts will go and pursue other foreign gods. This is why you need it. What is your witness? See, not only will Israelites forsake God to, uh, to go after and whore after other foreign gods, he says to here, they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. What's the first thing? God said they will go after foreign gods. What happens when you start for pursuing other gods? You start forsaking God. You know, it's kind of like, kind of like when you okay, when you love something so much it becomes your obsession for that season 
you know, say for that season, it's, uh, I don't know. Okay, let's do friendships, okay? Let's say you really love this new BFF you met, okay? And it's not cool if you're, like, one of those people who are, like, only friends with, friends with one season, then you throw them away because, like, oh, I already know him or her, and they're not funny anymore. Let me go look for a new friend, right? It's kind of like that, okay? It's like while they had God, Yahweh, who delivered them and saved them and all this stuff, it was good. But then when God gets boring and they don't need God anymore, they start going after other things, they start to forsake him completely. And when you are not walking with God, what do you do? You start to break the covenant that God has made with you. See, right now, some of you guys, you guys experience God, and God has given you um, a command. You know, I don't know. Jesus, don't do this anymore. You know, Jesus, you're my child. You're my son. Live in a way that will give you life. And that is the God who spoke that over you. But then when you go back to other places and then you forsake God to, for, to pursue other gods, what happens to that, to that desire you had to, to live that out? Now you start to break that too because that foreign God you're pursuing, they're not telling you that. Your lifestyle changes depending on who your God is. You will be shaped according to the desires of your heart. And here's a scary thing. This is scary. See, God's not scared by our forsaking him. He's not scared by us throwing him away. God says... Right after he says, you know, they're, this, here's what they're going to do. After God says, God says what the Israelites are going to do, he says this. Then my anger will be kindled against them, and I will devour them, right? And many evils and troubles that will, it will come upon them, and I will surely hide my face because of all the evil that they have done, because they have turned to other gods. Guys, God is a wrathful God. Don't tell me he, he's only a loving God, so he can't be wrathful. Well, you know what? God can't be loving if God also didn't have wrath. And by the way, our wrath, God's wrath doesn't look like our wrath, I believe. And I won't go into that, right? But God is a jealous God, and he wants you. He wants his believers. He wants his people. He doesn't want us to go after foreign gods. And so why do we need a witness again? Here we see again, God is saying, it's for your own good. Because when you start forsaking me, you see what's going to start to happen is my anger will be kindled and I will hide my face from you. We don't want that. That's why we want a witness. We don't want God to hide his face from us as a result of our forsaking him. And you know, I love this part again. You know, just listen, when I brought, when I have brought the Israelites, when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. You know what that says about the Israelites and us, by the way, we are so easily content. We're so easily satisfied. It's like all we needed is milk and honey. 
and we just eat and we get fat and you know that's all there is to it and then we forget God when we need something we want something we cry and then God answers and then when we tasted a little bit of God then we're ready to say all right next And not only that, we start to feel entitled. We start to feel entitled. Like, hey, you know, that we start to feel demanding. That's what the Israelites did. They weren't thankful. What about you guys? Is that how you respond? When God has given you this and God has given you that, some, I heard some of you guys are meeting and having these awesome late night prayer meetings and asking for the gift of tongues and all these things and good things. And when you receive it, you're like excited, excited to experience God, excited to experience healing, right? Excited to hear about the gospel, but be on guard, be on guard. Because when you start to feel a little fed, that's when your heart can be easily feeling content. When you need to start feeling even more hungry. Right. These are the, this is why we need it. We're so weak. You see how weak we are when we don't rely on God constantly. We forget what God has done. Are you forgetting already what God has done in your life these past few months that you were here? Are you? Or are you being a witness? Are you being a faithful witness to what God has done in your life? Moses, God tells Moses, write it, teach it. Put the song in their mouths. Literally put the song in their mouths so that the children after the next generation, they won't forget what I have done. This song, and here in Deuteronomy it says, this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. See, God tells Moses, to write it so that it will be a witness of God's goodness, of God's power, of God's faithfulness. And so Moses starts to write, and this is where he's saying, Hear, O heavens, let me proclaim God's goodness. Let me tell it. Let me announce how great God is. What do you think of when you think of witnessing? See, witnessing isn't just all about going out to the streets and start, you know, waving these banner signs and going, you know, repent or you will, you will, you know, die or you'll go to hell. Like, that's not, that's not the only kind of evangelism, okay? I don't, okay? How are you witnessing Christ? How are you witnessing what God has done? Are you proclaiming God's goodness every day? See, even when we're singing, do you know what we're doing? When we're praising, do you know what we're doing? We're proclaiming what God has done. We are recounting what we have experienced to be true, and we're singing it out loud. That's why we sing, not because Christians are crazy and they have nothing else to sing about, and, you know, when we're musically not talented people, and, you know, like, you know, music is not, 
music is for Christians and it's for believers and God gives it to us to put songs in each other's mouths to remember and recount his faithfulness. That's why we sing. See, because we are weak, again, right? Because we are weak, because we whore after foreign gods, because we are so easy to forsake him, we need to have witnesses written on our hearts ready to give and proclaim. Okay? Are you doing that today? Do you have a witness you can share? Just right off the bat, even if your roommate asks you, hey, what's your faith all about? Will you be faithful and truthful? Or will you be the one to kind of shrink back and start to act kind of afraid and be like, oh, that thing I do, oh, just go out. Yeah, well, it's cool people. You should come out. And all you make it about is just about people because they're cool. But you never talk about Jesus or God. I think one of the, the, the saddest things that I see in um, the Gospels, it just breaks my heart every time I read this. And it's Simon Peter's encounter with Jesus, right? The night of Gethsemane, when Jesus is taken in, he's arrested, and he has to go and face the high priest, right? Jesus asks Peter, um, oh, you know, Peter says to Jesus this. He says, Lord, why can I not follow you, right? I will lay down my life for you. Peter's so excited. He's like, Lord, well, let me just follow you now. I'm willing to die for you. And then Jesus says to him, Peter, just, just wait. Before you know it, before even the crow crows three times, crows tonight, you will have denied me three times, right? That's what Jesus tells Peter. And you know what is crazy about that? What's so crazy to me is so many of us think like Peter. We are like Peter. We think, God, I love you. I'm willing to do anything for you. We raise our hands and we shout and we sing praises. God, send me and use me. And we're crazy for Jesus. Hallelujah. That's great. <laughs> right? Because some of you guys here might be thinking this. Hey, Pastor Gina, what is she talking about? I are, I'm already sharing my faith. This doesn't really apply to me. You know, I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. But watch out. Because here's what Peter does. You know what happens? Jesus is about to be taken in. And Peter gets so afraid. So self-conscious and paranoid that people in that area are going to start to notice him, and they do. The first time a servant girl notices him, and she looks at him, and she's like, hey, aren't you one of Jesus's, you know, followers? He's like, uh, no, no, I do not know him, right? Second time, another servant girl, you know, looks at him and says, hey, aren't you one of Jesus's followers? He's like, no, no. Second time, he denies it. Then the third time, one of the servants of a, of a high priest, right, he calls Jesus out. Like, hey, aren't you the, aren't you, weren't you with him at Gethsemane, at the garden where I saw you? And she's like, no, I do not know him. How excited was Jesus when he had just told, how excited was Peter when he just told Jesus, hey, I'm willing to lay my life for you, Jesus. Let me just follow you now. I love you. But then when push came to shove, what did Peter do? He denied Jesus three times. 
But here's the sad part. It was, they were all served. I don't think it was a mistake that John, the apostle, the writer of the, the gospel, he, I don't think it was a mistake that he mentions it. Servant, the first time was a servant girl. Second time was a servant girl. The third time was a servant of a high priest. They were all servants who probably have no authority and power, but they call him out and be like, hey, you, I saw you, or, or they're identifying him. And Peter's scared of even them, that he allows them to redefine and reinterpret, reshape his own experience he had with Jesus. Peter ate and drank and slept, you know, walking with Jesus every day. Peter was in Jesus' inner circle. And he's going to let a servant girl tell him that he will, he's not a follower, follower of Christ? Are you, when you guys go out in the real world, right? If a little cute, you know, I don't know, okay, maybe not cute. Let's just say a little kindergartner comes up to you and be like, hey, you know, I saw you walking with Tina, or I saw you walking with P.E., you know, Pastor Aaron, or would you, I mean, I'm not saying they're God, okay, but I'm saying, would you be quick to, would you be scared by the little kindergartner? Are you going to let someone with just, you know, low status, who have no authority over you, would you let them put a fear in you so that now you have to start reinterpreting your own truthful experience? That's the irony, and that's the crazy thing about fear, is that when, when fear gets to us, we don't know how to proclaim truth anymore. Guys, don't be like Simon Peter in this incident. I mean, you know, Peter is loved, and he, he's, he's an apostle and great. But, you know, Peter denied him three times, all because of fear that he, he will uh, be identified don't let your friends, your classmates, what can they do to you? I mean, guys, who, how, at the end of the day, this is a question you have to ask. How much do I love Christ? How much do I treasure what the testimony God has given me? How much do I treasure it? Because you know what? What you're willing to sacrifice will show how, what you love. If you aren't willing to sacrifice friendship because now your friends are going to start persecuting and start making fun of you and start calling you names, if you aren't willing to give that up at the cost of treasuring and upholding what God has done in your life, then you know what? You got to check your heart because maybe you never really experienced the truth of God and maybe you never really loved God in your heart. If your mom or your dad or someone in your life that you really love has told you, you are the best thing in the world and all these things. And you really believe it. You will go out and tell people, no, my mom told me this. Or, you know, my dad told me this. Okay. Maybe not now because you're old enough. Right. <laughs> but if somebody or, you know, if somebody told you, Hey, that's not true. Are you going to believe that? Or are you going to believe what someone you trust, what your mom or what you, your dad has told you? That's the crazy thing about fear. When I was in high school, see, I came to, I always smile every time I think about my high school days because that was like my first love, 
season, like with God, right? And I just, it's like, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> not, not first love with the guy, with God, <laughs> right? No, but I smile because, you know, things that are treasure in you, like that, they're like, you treasure them and you start to, your heart still flutters. And that's how I feel when I think about my high school days. Cause that's when I met God and I felt like I was on cloud nine because everything was different for me. Right. And let me just tell you after freshman year, I, I, I encountered God powerfully. And, you know, even though I grew up in the church, whatever, you know, I went through my seasons of doubts and all this stuff. By the way, I was, I was always that kid who went to church to always argue and prove my youth group teachers wrong that God didn't exist for a season because, because I couldn't make sense of God in my life. I was like, you know, if God is so good, then why this? And, you know, but I believe even that God, God was still, see, I wouldn't even care if God wasn't already um, trying to draw me to him. So I believe that was still God. But anyway, you know, when I finally encountered God powerfully and I just couldn't, it was just, I couldn't deny him anymore because his love filled me up and it just changed my world. The way I saw people, everything changed. It was not the same anymore. And I went back and I told, I gathered my closest friends and, you know, I used to curse and, you know, maybe I don't don't have a crazy dramatic, like conversion story where like, you know, I was like living a thug life and all of a sudden I became an (laughs) angel. I don't have that kind of story. Right. But I, I was, I was still, you know, cursing, like, you know, I was like your typical, very rebellious teenage girl. Right. Um, I mean, I was anyways, so I gathered my friends to tell them guys. And I still remember it. I gathered like maybe six, five, five of them, five, six of them. And there were, you know, like, um, I had really diverse group of friends and, and I told them, Hey guys, and I used these words. I said, I met God personally and I decided to change. So I'm not going, I just want you guys to know I I can't curse anymore. I'm not going to curse. I'm not going to do these things. And I'm going to go to church. And I just, I just shared about God, about my experience, what I experienced. And they said to me, they laughed. Okay. The first thing they did was laughed. And they're like, ha ha. Okay, Jamie, we'll give you a week at most two. That's what they said to me. And I was like, and I didn't care. I was like, all right, whatever. And you know what? A week passed by, two weeks passed by, three, five months, a year, two years, three years, four years, and I'm here today. And there was not a single moment when I didn't love Jesus with all my heart. And it gets deeper every, every year. I wasn't scared of what my friends were going to tell me, what my experience was. My experience was mine because I knew and I heard God's voice. Who are they to tell me who my God is? Who are they to tell me that the voice I heard, God telling me that you are precious, I love you, all the things I heard, who are they to tell me that that wasn't real? That's crazy. I can't imagine what my life would be like today if I listened to my friends. And thank God that faith is a gift. Because I had faith that God was real and that I was, I belonged to him and that he was my father. And you know what? The crazy thing and the exciting thing about the Christian life is it only gets better and better and better and better. And you won't know it until you experience it. 
for the rest of my high school years, <laughs> you know, I think God had grace. I still had the same friends, but I was called a holy nun, <laughs> right? I was made fun of all the time. You know, I had a lot of Jewish friends, right? And they're not like Orthodox Jews, but, you know, they're like culturally Jewish. And they'll, you know, like teach you, oh, you little cute angel, or like you little cute holy nun, you know? Like they would make fun of me, like mockingly. But, you know, we're friends. So, like, I'm like, you know, I didn't really care. But it's because also we loved each other as friends. I loved them and they loved me, you know. I mean, you know, obviously on Fridays, it looked different. I couldn't, I, I couldn't go on Fridays because I was so excited to go to church. Like, I mean, I, that was like, I loved ministry. I loved church. I loved God. Sometimes I'll go on Fridays and, like, you know, my friends are smoking up weed. And, um, and I, you know, they're smoking up weed and getting drunk in, in high school. But you know what? I just didn't care. I, I, it didn't make sense to me that I would let my friends bring me down when I knew who God was. It just, it's, it's kind of, do you guys see how crazy that is? That shows how weak I am. Do, like, who, am I, who are my friends to tell me that I can't live this life? I want it to be strong for God because God is strong. And I wanted my friends to taste his goodness too. And so my wit, I continue to witness the work of God in my life continually. You see, writing songs and you know all that, I, I didn't do all that, right? But witnessing God looks differently. It, it, there isn't one way. So what are you doing about your witness? You know what I would do sometimes? First day of school, first day of semester when classes change. High school. First thing I would do when I enter a classroom is, God, show me where to sit this semester so I know who you want me to evangelize to. That would be my prayer. And you know what? I'm sitting in my desk first, first day of school, and I'm, I'm excited. Because I already know why I'm sitting there. So I'm making friends with people around me in, a, in different ways. Like, I always had a heart for people who were very just tough and like hardcore and because, you know, anyways. And so there was a guy who sat next to me. He's just so tough and no one talks to him and he's just hard on the outside, you know. And God would always show me how to talk to them. And it was never the first day I sit down. I'm like, Hi, my name is Jamie. I'm sitting here because can I talk to you about God? No, that is not the way it looked, by the way, right? There's wisdom. But, you know, I would just be friends with them naturally. But, you know, I'll be like, hey, if you have any homework questions, just t- uh, you can aim me. You know, do you guys know what aim is? <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So you guys are too, uh, yeah. My generation, right, we had this thing called aim, and it was um, AOL Instant Messenger, right? Now you just text, I guess. But my screen name back in the days, okay, you have a screen name, and my screen name, I would do things like, be hungry for God, you know, like, like all these things, you know why? And I wasn't shy about it. And one of the, and I told, and I told my friend like, Hey, just, just, I am me. If you have any questions about homework, you know, and he needed, and I knew he needed, he, he needed help. Right. So obviously I knew if I gave him my screen name, he's going to ask, dang, be hungry for God. What is that all about? And my profile, I would have, you know what it says? They would say things like, you know, one of the, one of the quotes I lived by in high school is, Live your life so that those who don't know God will come to know God because they know you. 
That was like my personal philosophy, right? And I would think, yeah, this is, this is going to start up a conversation. And I, I, it will be an opportunity for me to share God with him or like get to know him and invite him out to my church and all these things, right? That's what I would do every single semester. And you know what? I did. I was able to. And I loved it. And that was how I shared my witness. That's how I witnessed God to people. And I didn't care what they thought. I didn't care what people, people call me a holy nun or whatever. Who cares? Right? I loved my testimony because I loved the testimony of who God was and I wanted to share it. You see, the truth is when the power of God comes upon you, we can't contain it. We can't help but proclaim it. It's so good. Our hearts are so tiny. We can't contain it. It just bursts. And I was like this walking, bursting balloon just disguised in, you know, as a high school student. But I felt like when I was walking around campus, my mentor would always tell me, Jamie, remember, you're like a secret, secret um, <laughs> agent. You're walking around, but what you're doing is you're really looking out for people to see who to, who to minister to. And I really felt like a secret agent, you know. <laughs> it might, she would say, you know, it's like we have antennas, uh, right? And, you know, I was like a really young Christian. I would absorb everything. And, you know, but she was saying the antenna thing. Basically, it's like the Holy Spirit's talking to you. You just got to connect with God and know, <laughs> you know, like control my antennas. You know, what is God telling me right now? Oh, I see that person. That person needs prayer. Just pray for them, you know, from a distance. You know, when you start to, when you start to. <laughs> No, but I mean, no, I, I was, I was a student. I was a normal person. I was on sports teams. I did fun things. You know, I was normal. <laughs> Trust me. And I had normal friends. Trust me. But all I'm saying is, uh, in my mind, I'm thinking completely something else, but on the outside, you know, I, I was normal. <laughs> all right. But you know what? It's heck of fun. It is so much fun when you are just commuting with God and all you're doing is asking God, God, show me, reveal to me, tell me who you want to go. And you're friends with these people and they have no reason why you like them. But you know what? My purpose was never only to evangelize. My purpose was to just love on people because that's what God did to me. God showed me love. And when you start to see people for who they are, God will give you wisdom and knowing how to actually start to witness to them. Witnessing is powerful because you are recounting what God has done. Here's, here's what's crazy about witness. Do you guys know that witnessing is a matter of life or death? Do you guys know that? Listen, you as a witness, okay, being a witness of God's goodness can be a matter of life or death to people. Here's what I mean by that. Okay. When you go to Supreme Courts or like people are put on trial, do you guys know how important witnesses are? Like eyewitnesses or even just witnesses? And before they go on board, you know, they have to like, you know, swear or an oath, right? But here's how powerful it is. Depending on what these witnesses say, how truthful, right? What pieces of evidence, evidences a jury can gather from what they say can make or break a person's life. That's how, that's how powerful a witness can be. Your witness, let me tell you how powerful it can be. It can either 
bring people into the kingdom or it can not help their faith at all that they actually start, they don't even think about God anymore and they just continue to believe in their disbelief. But the power of your witness is that you can multiply God's followers in the kingdom. Do you know what happens in the gospels? You know, when the Samaritan woman in John chapter four, when her life was completely changed because she encountered and she had a conversation with Jesus. Do you know what it says? It's so crazy. People always talk about, oh, you know, the conversation they have, but do you know what scripture says after the fact, after she encounters Jesus? Listen, after this is what she does. It says here, she left her water jar and she went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? This went out of town. They went out of town and were coming to him, right? Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. And many, many more believed because of the word, because of his word, right? And these people who have been just hearing about God through this Samaritan woman, eventually they meet Jesus. And you know what? They come back and tell her. She says, they say this to her. They say, hey, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. You have the power to witness to people who do not know God, like the Samaritan woman, and thereby, because of what you're doing of your testimony, people can come into the kingdom. God's people can come, and his kingdom will be expanded, and God will be so glorified because of what you're doing to bring people in. That's how powerful a testimony and witness is. See, when we experience God, when we witness things like that, it's never meant for you only. Let's not be selfish and think that whenever we come to church, whenever we go to large groups like this and we experience amazing things, God doesn't say it's just for you. Well, it is for you, but now go and tell and proclaim. That's why. That's how the people of God multiplies. That's how the church multiplies. What are you doing about your witness? About the things that you have seen and witnessed? You know, Apostle Paul, I've been really meditating a lot on his life. And I tell my husband, his name is Paul, right? <laughs> and I tell him, gosh, I love Paul. He's so amazing. He, he says, am I not your favorite Paul anymore? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, don't compare yourself to the Apostle Paul, you know? But really, I love, I love Apostle Paul because I realized more and more, the more I got, more and more I read his letters to the churches and through Acts, one of the things I just see in him is that when he was converted on the Damascus road and he was completely changed, do you know how he testifies? You know, he shares the way that he was converted, right? But he is so truthful and faithful to how he met and encountered the Lord. Nothing can stop him from telling the truth. 
you know, he, he goes out to all these different cities, all throughout Acts, you see him going to all these different journeys to bring gospel to those places. And each of those times, you know, he's, he's, he's like this defender of the gospel. He has this urgency to make sure that gospel is advancing all throughout Judea, Samaria, all to the end of the world. That's his commission, he, that he feels that urgency. And he does it in the face of trials. He never, ever backs down. Even when he's in the prison, by the way, in Philippi, he's in jail. <laughs> Him and Silas, a crazy thing. I mean, they're in prison and they're singing hymns, right? But of course, the spirit of God comes and the prison gets open and they're able to escape. But you know what? Here's the power of the witness. Paul isn't just on this goal of, all right, let's get out. Let's bounce. He's like, wait, <laughs> let me share the gospel and witness the gospel to this jailer. I mean, how many of you guys would be, would do that? You're like, see, ya, I'm out, you know, but no, he, he sh- shares a witness of God to this person, to the jailer. And because of that, him and his entire household, they come to God. They come to have faith. Whether he was, whether in hunger and plenty, this is Apostle Paul, whether he was imprisoned or not, whether he was flogged, mocked, beaten, whatever, he was steadfast, and he did not let other people or situations reinterpret his truth. That's why he's faithful. You're going to have faith to proclaim what you know is to be true. Can I tell you what a faithful witness God has given us. God wanted us to know so much. His promises, he wanted to fulfill it. Right? And finally, years and years in general, Israelites are waiting, waiting for the Savior to come. And the person who did not shade any truth in fear, who was faithful to everything he was supposed to testify to, God sent his son, Jesus, to be able to do that. And Jesus, when he was facing trials, when he was being beaten, when he was being mocked, when he was being betrayed by one of his followers, when he was ridiculed, completely stripped, you know, and beaten to the point of death on the cross, Jesus did not back down. He was faithful to the witness that God wanted him to show us. If Jesus wasn't faithful to that witness, would we have life? I mean, Jesus is God. He's perfect. But Jesus was human too, so he could. He was tempted in every single way. But he did not give in. He yielded to the Father. And because of him, and because he has left, we have the Holy Spirit who bears witness with us. And everything that is good and true of God, we, we have today. What will you do when you go back home, when you leave this campus? Some of you guys are here for three more years, two or one, four, I don't know. What are you going to do about your witness? Will you be faithful 
Will we be a faithful witness? He, you know, faith, faithfully recounting what God has done in your life, that means you're not going to shade the truth. Some of us think, oh, I'll be truthful about just this part. I'll go and tell my friends back home. Oh, yeah, you know, Emmaus was amazing. God was amazing. I saw God move this way. Bible studies were good. But then your friends start to ask you questions about, oh, but, hey, I, what about, like, you know, the tongues? I thought you, what is that all about? And then you start to, like, get a little, little embarrassed because you think your friends are going to start making fun of you and start calling you the holy nun maybe, you know? <laughs> I don't know. But you see, being faithful witness means you're going to tell the whole truth, not partial. I believe every single one of you were here for a reason. God gave you something to share. God gave you a powerful testimony to share. And it's not for you because it brings life to others. Will you join in on that kingdom work? And if you're, if you're asking yourself, well, you know, how do I do that? It's so easy. It's so easy for you to say, how do I do it? The first practical point I'll tell you is this. Even before you're thinking about, you know, a list of things to do about, okay, how do I start being a good, faithful witness? Just be truthful and faithful. That means you're not, you're going to tell the truth. Write songs. Just like Moses did, and God told Moses, write out a song to tell and to tell and retell what you have done. Because you know what? If I ask some of you, hey, what did God do in your life the past week or even some, you know, past couple of months? Some of you guys have already forgotten, I bet. Some of you guys can only capture maybe a sentence or two. Write it down so that the details you remember and you can bless others. Write songs. Write your testimony, right? Teach others. That's what it says in Deuteronomy. Teach people. Teach your children. Teach your friends. Teach them. Put it in your mouths. That means praise God with your words. When you start to praise God and, and you recount the goodness of God, what you sing through your mouth goes in your heart. And it will not depart from you. And you know what, lastly, when Paul went around to all the different cities, right, especially in, in, in Thessalonica and um, in Antioch and all these different places, and he's trying to reason with the Jerusalem council in Jerusalem, all the different leaders of these cities, he's trying to tell them about Jesus. Do you know what, what it says in scriptures? It said not only did Paul try to tell them, persuade them with the signs and wonders he has seen, but also says through reasonings, through what scripture said. What does that mean for us? Know your Bible. If you go back home and start to tell your friends, I saw these signs and wonders, just like Paul did. He, Paul, Paul saw some crazy things. He saw people, entire you know, household get converted. And, you know, he, saw, he saw his own visions. He was blinded for three. He, he had some crazy experiences. But he not only went to go persuade other religious leaders with signs and wonders that broke out, but he also knew the scriptures well, that he could point people and know wisdom and know how to speak to them the truth. God doesn't only give you signs and wonders today. God shows, you know, P.E. preached at Emmaus, right? Those things are to point to Christ. Those things point to God. So know your Bible. 
and reason persuasively and lovingly with friends who are curious, but don't give them the authority to reinterpret. Let's pray.